Hello and welcome to the History of Geeks Off Football Podcast. Um, it is another ad hockey episode today. Um, just to sort of give you an update on scheduling, there will be at least two more episodes in 2023. One which will be Bosnia then, one which will be Bosnia now. There may be a, a third if I get um, the other Bosnia history one written up in time, but probably not. That will probably be a, um, how I'm using my festive break. But uh, speaking of breaks, we've just come out of the international break, and it's an international break which has confirmed more or less how many um, sides from the region we'll be seeing at Euro 24 next year in Germany. Um, there's one still up in the air, but I think as we go through this episode, we'll see actually it's probably not really up in the air that much. So we'll go through group by group, um, starting with North Macedonia in Group C. They were eliminated in the October um, round of games um, without having actually played in that particular uh, set of games. Uh, I think it was Ukraine beating Malta that knocked them out um, due to the head-to-head against Ukraine. It was uh, unrecoverable. Um, And the November uh, round of games was hardly a particularly kind one for them schedule-wise. Starting off with away at the Stadio Olimpico against Italy and then hosting uh, England in the final game. Um, They Lost 5-2 to Italy, uh, but then recovered a very, very creditable one-all draw against England. um, And England's goal was an own goal uh, of that particular variety from Yanni Atanasov. Um, So I think, you know, as you can perhaps tell, two, so one extremely creditable result. That I would take with a pinch of salt, really, uh, the England result. Not uh, from a perspective of it being bad for North Macedonia, but more from the perspective that, you know, yes, they were competitive, they got more shots on target than England, even with only 25% possession. But, you know, England's lineup was not. Um, it wasn't. It was not experimental. But it wasn't um, by any means the full shilling, as it were. Um, you know, with Rico Lewis making his debut, who gave away um, the penalty uh, that Ennis Bardi would score the rebound from, um, and Ollie Watkins having a very poor game up front, as well as Bukayo Saka having a pretty poor outing as well. Um, for North Macedonia, I think what they've come out with some credit, uh, obviously from getting that result against England. Even against Italy, they weren't bad um, by any means. Um, you know, really, it's only in that last 10 minutes that the game really went away from them. Um, Italy went in 3-0 up, but then uh, Atanasov scored two in the first half hour of the second half to bring it to 3-2 before uh, Raspadori in the 81st and Stefan El Sharari in injury time. Um, you know, put a bit of gloss on that particular result for Italy and I think it's fair to say probably undeserved gloss um, really um, Italy managed to get through um, thanks to a draw over Ukraine in, the, in their final game um, 
I think North Macedonia is being seeing their limitations uh, as a nation. Um, they were certainly down on numbers in terms of um, defensive players. Um, you know, you sort of look at their pool, as it were. You know, Zakov, um was injured. Musliu um, has had time injured as well. Stefan Rostovsky is just playing on the outs with everyone. Um, so there's been a bit of experimentation. I think some players have really stepped up to the mark there. Jovan Manev in particular uh, has really taken on a, a, a leading role in the defence uh, with those injuries. Uh, Agon Alesi as well um, has done well when he's been called upon from coming up from under-21 level. Isni Kalimi as well has had some decent cameos um, in spite really you know, being a 29-year-old getting his international debut reasonably recently you wouldn't expect too much from him uh, I think those um, expectations that would have been laid on him have been exceeded the same, same would actually go for Stefan Ashkovsky um, who I think has been very reliable in spite of the fact that he doesn't have a club um, and I think it's all the Macedonian football um, Twitter account mentioned you know, oh it's quite embarrassing that we've got this player without a club but you know, to actually be fair to that player without a club he's done well when he's been called upon um, over the past you know, not just two games but four really four, six games that uh, North Macedonia have chosen to use him for um, and I think we've also seen in this set of games Bojan Miofsky really is you know, the only striker of note that they have um, and you know, I think his role as North Macedonia's number nine is now signed, sealed, delivered. Uh, I don't really think anyone's touching him unless someone's going to come through the uh, youth ranks. Um, but I mean, really, Miofsky's probably got that role tied up for himself for the next five years. Um, it's certainly not been a bad campaign. You know, fourth place in a group where you've got England, Ukraine, Italy, and Malta <laughs> as your opponents, it's really all you can achieve. Um, and you know, you talk about the defeats they've had. Okay, you know, a couple of them are real sickeners. You know, the three-two loss at home against Ukraine, the seven-nil loss to England. Those are really poor results. For the first because of the circumstances, the second because it's seven-nil. But otherwise, they've looked decent enough. You know, they've had the enough about them to get points in both the home games against the two you know, traditional top seeds, as it were, in Italy and England. Um, and certainly given Italy a game uh, in the away fixture as well, they got the six points against um, Malta that you would have an expectation that they would get, but you've still got to get them. So it's it's a bit of an even Stevens. Um, there wasn't really any chance they could get out of this group there wasn't really much chance. I think they could do better than they actually did in this group. Um, you know, bar, barring not mucking up the uh, second half of the Ukraine game in Skopje, um, that's really the big blemish on it. But I, mean, I think you look at the remainder of the campaign, and from a perspective of Bogomievsky as manager, um, you'd probably say it's actually been a pretty good endorsement of him. Uh, in terms of how they've hung on, hung with the big sides, um, and done what they've needed to do against the one smaller side, um, they will not. You know, when we come to the World Cup draw 
they will not get a draw that bad. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think there's any doubt that they couldn't fail to get a draw that's easier uh, than that. At least it doesn't have three really big sides in. Um, they probably won't necessarily stand a chance for qualification um, from that. Uh, I think that's maybe fair to say it's just the nature of um, World Cup qualification versus Euros qualification and the amount of qualification places that are available. But, yeah, they come out of it pretty much even Stevens, I think it's fair to say. And you know, really, next time around, we'll be looking towards Nations League. And you know, for that particular campaign, they will still be in Group C. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they're able to do on that. That will be the next set of competitive fixtures that they've got. Um, but, you know, they've got... They should be able to put themselves in a position where they are able to get promotion and, you know, potentially sort themselves out with a playoff place from that. Uh, I think that really has to be their aim. Um, because the Nations League changes, as it were, um, are positive ones for them. Uh, absolutely. Moving on to Croatia, who left it late um, in terms of they had to go to the final game to qualify. Um, but eventually, I think really the November week of games is about the only week of games that really went to plan for them this particular uh, qualification campaign. Um, rounding off the group with a fast aisle 2 0 win over Latvia. Latvia are no great shakes uh, or even any good or mediocre shakes they're bad shakes um, and then beating Armenia 1-0 Armenia had done them a favour uh, at the weekend by drawing one all against the Welsh um, and I think you know, that was a very well deserved draw as well um, and I think for from a Croatian perspective you know, they really didn't want to end up in the playoffs not just because you don't want to end up in the playoffs in the first place but because in the uh, path A playoff set Ukraine would be in there so you actually have you know a, a really big challenging side um, to overcome in there um, you know, it's certainly much they've, it's certainly much easier and much preferred for them to have gotten qualification now than to have had insane thoughts of having to uh, attempt to get through that mess uh, next March. In terms of performance levels, I think it's fair to say it, what we saw was some really encouraging things from new players coming in. And I think that's one of the things that Croatia have really struggled with um, has been uh, not, not just the phasing in, but also the phasing out. Um, you know, Obviously, we are still at a point where they it's complete reliance on Luka Modric, but you know, I think Lovro Maya had his probably best overall pair of games for Croatia, scoring uh, against Latvia and you know, putting a, a good performance against uh, Armenia. Ante Budimir scored, um, which is a novelty. Um, they're able to get good game time um, for Mario, Marco Pasalic uh, coming from the UX side and looks really lively. In the 20 minutes he had against Armenia, uh, and even you know, you came close uh, at that point. I think he probably has an even more rapidly ascending future in in the national setup, and probably a, a 
a future in the national setup that will include him going to Euro 24. Uh, I don't think really that's something Zlatko Dalic will be able to to resist. Um, Mata Patruna obviously got his full international debut as well. So we started to see those players come through while also still getting the positive results. And I think that's the, been the big thing, you know, for Croatia. They have often promoted players, but it's not really been doing them any good. This time, well, they actually did look lively. They actually did provide energy. They actually did provide danger, um, as it were. And, you know, yes, we know they're not working with the full deck. Um, you know, if, if we're entirely honest, you, you look at that squad that uh, went out against Armenia, you would have um, Bruno Pekovic in it at the very least. You would have Mateo Kovacic in it. Um, you know, obviously, it wasn't available for this set of games. And um, Josip Juranovic's fitness was also uh, in a little bit of doubt. Um, it wasn't great. Um, you know, they didn't come in with everyone that they needed. And I think the, the other thing to add about the, that Armenia game, you know, the best player on the park was the Armenia uh, goalkeeper, Kantrevich. Um, it really kept the score down um, when it could, maybe should, have been a bit more of a cricket score. Um, that's maybe a little bit unfair to Armenia. I am uh, a fan of the Armenia side uh, and quite a few of the players that they've got in it. Um, but yeah, Croatia were a lot better than them um, this week. Um, moving on now to Group G. Group G for go on Serbia. Um, get rid of Pixie, please, dear God. Um, <laughs> um, we have, of course, the competing interests of Serbia and Montenegro in this particular group, um, and in this particular week, as it was, um, with Serbia really doing all they possibly could to muck it up. Um, the first round of games, uh, Serbia were sitting out on the 16th, um, but in that Hungary secured qualification uh, against Bulgaria, Montenegro beat Lithuania nice and easily 2-0 to mean it had to go to the final day. Uh, Montenegro would have had to have won, Serbia would have had to have lost, uh, and at a point it looked like that was actually going to happen. Um, it was... I think actually... The, Hungary and Bulgaria scored around about the same time um, in that second round of games. Uh, Montenegro had taken the lead through Sobdan Rebezic of Aberdeen um, and held that until the 66th minute. Um, Serbia went 1-0 up uh, thanks to Milos Velkovic um, and then conceded 2 uh, in <laughs> 10 minutes um, just after the break. Um, so, you know, there was a period I think maybe of about 90 seconds or so where the actual Montenegro qualifying ahead of Serbia um, was a reality. Um, and then Hungary scored two very two goals in very quick succession from Dominic Shabalai, uh, whose name I, I can't pronounce, I'm going to be honest. Um, I can pronounce a lot of things, as you may have noticed from this particular um, podcast, but uh, that's not one I'm very good at. Um, and Serbia managed to pull it back to secure a two-all draw uh, in their game in Leskovac. Um, so Serbia qualified with 14 points. Montenegro out, out with 11. Um, and what really to say about it? Dear God, Pixie needs to go. 
um, I think is really the takeaway. Um, yes, he's a legend. We all know he's a legend, but this group was unmess upable. Um, and that's a polite way of putting it. Um, you know, Serbia's squad on paper is a damn sight better than Bulgaria, than Lithuania, than Montenegro, and probably than Hungary as well. Um, so not only for Serbia to come second in that group is a bad result, but also for Serbia to come second in that group and be around about 25 minutes at one point from being out, 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 um, is pretty disgraceful. Uh, I think let's not hide that. Um, I think you know, you can actually look at individual games where Serbia got a bit lucky. I think actually if you go back last month and look at the uh, game against Montenegro, um, they won it 3-1. That flattered them quite a bit. And you know Bulgaria didn't win a game in this group. So they're not a good side. Um, but they were able to get two of their four points in draws against Serbia, which tells you there's a real issue with this, with the Serbian side, um, and that issue is managerial. Uh, I'm afraid to say. Um, I, I think most people would agree that that issue is entirely managerial. Um, Pixie hasn't got it right consistently. Um, we saw it at the World Cup. Um, particularly against in that game against Cameroon when they should have been home and hose and then it was like just conceding ridiculous goals. Um, they're still conceding ridiculous goals. They're still extremely naive at the back. They're extremely predictable. Um, you know, there's not been evidence of any sort of evolution. Um, and I think you know the additional problem is they've got players who are now playing in weaker leagues. You know, Mitro obviously is banging them in Saudi Arabia, but it's Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, uh, same for Sergei Milinkovic-Savic as well, um, doing it in in Saudi rather than in a, a top five league. Um, it's not really a great thing. I mean, you look at the the side on paper; it's a great side on paper. It is, um, but it's just consistently underperforming and at the end of the day if it's consistently underperforming you can only look at that from a managerial perspective um, from Montenegro's perspective I think it's been a very positive campaign um, now I hesitated there for a reason um, because the key positive element of it has been that they've been able to find um, the right connection up front um, you know, obviously we've got Stefan Jovetic, uh, legend, 34 now. Um, so really they'll get two more years out of him uh, at this level. But now they're able to put alongside him Nikola Kistovic. Uh, Kistovic having a great season for Lecce. And, you know, really that form's been transferred across to Montenegro where he's looked lively. He's um, been direct, he's been threatening. And that's what they need is sort of someone to take that attacking... Um, to carry that a bit more on his shoulders, other than um, Jovetic. Uh, Miltinos Majic um, has, has come in as well, started having some uh, alright games. Yep. There's a better national pool at the end of that particular, at the end of this particular um, round of games, not round of games, at this particular qualification campaign than there was at the start of it, there's no doubt about that. 
And I think for Mirjok Radulovic, uh, I think you know he can sort of look quite kindly on this campaign. Think you know, okay, we're certainly um, being closer to getting through on something than we have been uh, at any occasion before, really. Um, for it to even go to the, to the last round of games is much better than Montenegro normally manage. I've got a, you know a, a, a squad pool which has an extra striker, extra players. Uh, a little bit of extra quality. Uh, that's a big difference for them as well. And, okay, the problem will be, now for the Nations League, if we talk about it again, uh, they're in League B rather than League C, so there's not going to be as much hope for them as, of qualifying through to get some sort of playoff qualification um, from from that side of things. Um at least however the World Cup ones work um, it's still a little bit baffling let's be honest um, but you know they're going to be testing themselves against against good sides um, and seeing really where they are hopefully being able to improve their pot for the next round of Euros qualifying and you know maybe even having a bit of a go at trying to get to the 26th World Cup if they get a reasonably kind group um, I don't, certainly don't think it's beyond them. You know, one of the key things that you need as part of an international team is you need the ability to score goals. Well, I don't think there's too much doubt that um, Montenegro have that now from more than one option. You know, we can talk about Jovetic, obviously, we talked about Kirstovic and Osmajic uh, as strikers, but also we've got coming through Viktor Chukanovic at Hammerby, absolutely excellent left winger. Um, I think it's almost, it's almost a pity Jovetic is there because I'd love to see Chukanovic get more game time and it's sort of the Jovetic from a position wise who's in the way. Edwin Kutcher of Balkani, uh, you know, even though he's 30, really shone in the chances he's been given um, this time around. And you know, going towards the back, obviously Sobodan Rubesic we've mentioned uh, as well, but Marco Tucci as well uh, of Gangwon uh, has had uh, a campaign where he's enhanced his reputation. Um, but chances. Uh, definitely, if they get the right group. The only thing that sort of would have the doubt about is their goalkeeping ranks. Um, <laughs> yes, we'll say no more on that one. Um, I think when we ever, ever we do one of those Bosnia episodes, that might be something that's mentioned. Hey ho, let's see. Um, leaving Group G to one side now, going to Group H. I think probably uh, a side that got the group Montenegro might like next time to have a chance of qualifying. It's Slovenia, and Slovenia will be at the Euros next year. Hazar. Um, after, um, not even a dramatic, it wasn't dramatic, they made it look very easy, um, I think it's fair to say. Um, okay, they lost the uh, first game of the two uh, November games against Denmark in Denmark. 2-1, tight game, um, no real shame in losing that game, I don't think. Um, to put it to the final round against Kazakhstan, and Slovenia were absolutely excellent uh, for the whole first half, really. Um, got the just reward on 41 minutes when Benjamin Sheshko, um put away a penalty. Uh, Ramazan Orozov of Koper, um did his job prospects in the Piva Liga no good at all by equalising just after half-time. But uh, with four minutes to go, Benjamin Verbic with a stunner uh, to send Slovenia well, to send Slovenia, they would have been going anyway, uh, but to 
truly put the cherry on the qualification cake for Slovenia to reach Euro 24 next summer. Uh, and anyone who follows uh, a great deal of Slovenian accounts like I do will truly note that um, they're quite happy about this. Uh, and I think there's uh, some of them who are probably quite drunk. Um, it's been a very good campaign for them. There's absolutely no doubt uh, whatsoever about that. Slovenia, for me, um, you know, I think when we came probably however long ago to actually talk about um, Slovenia's chances at the very start of this qualification campaign, I was very positive about them. I think they have um, elements that any side that wants to do well at international level needs to have. They have a top-class goalkeeper in uh, Jan Black, they have a top-class striker in Benjamin Sesko, and everything else is solid, or it's at least solid, I think it's fair to say. Um, there are a couple of positions of weakness, but you know, you've got a very workmanlike midfield, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, Timo McFelsnick is your prototypical box-to-box player. Adam Nishishalin, uh, you know, has that little bit of class uh, and very good set-piece delivery as well. Um, there's no stars in the side, really, outside of those, outside of Oblak and um, Sheshko. Um, but there's, you know, there's zero WAR players, I think, as you sort of say in baseball. Um, you know, if you swap them in, you're not losing anything at this level. It's only if you take one of the two stars out that there's going to be a bit of an issue um i think they're dark horses and i'm calling it now they're dark horses for euro 24 because they don't give anyone an easy game at all um you know matras check is a very good manager he is a very good manager at getting a group of players to have firstly a, a good attitude um, you know, sort of that, that really positive team spirit, but also for getting them to overperform against sides who are better than them. Um, you know, obviously he did it well with Rijeka. You know, they were a very good side to watch, but you know, crucially, they were a very difficult side to beat. Um, and while it took them a, you know, more than one chance to be able to actually win the title, when, when they won it, they absolutely deserved to do it. And he's very good, also at getting the best out of players who are taking a step forward from midfield um, and bringing strikers on as a result. You know, obviously the likes of Jesco, the likes of Adam Nesteri, I think is um, someone who, who benefits from that, the likes of Sandy Lovrich as well. Um, you know, if you are, want to be in the centre of the midfield and take, sort of take that step forward, he's a very good manager to be doing that under and the positive that Slovenia have if you look at their midfield cohort is that they have a lot of midfielders who like to do that um you know obviously mentioned Verbich scoring mentioned Tim Axelsnick mentioned Adam you know Miazach as well um loves to do that sort of thing um they brought in Nino Zagel for the first time uh this particular group of games didn't uh, actually get on the pitch but again a good player to expose to that and really everyone is sort of at a nice peak age level um you don't have many players um 30 or older that they're relying upon i think that's the fair thing to add there there's only you know of the midfielders there's only kurtic who's uh above 30 and kurtic is the only one who 
Sorry, let me just get my dates right. Kurtic and Verbich will be the only midfielders who will be over 30 uh, when it goes to, when they go to Germany, and they've got you know experience in the uh, back line as well. Um, I, as I say, I think they will surprise people at Euro 24, um, but I've been confident about them throughout. Um, they're just a difficult side to beat, um, and that, that's going to be crucial. You know, particularly when you've got this this Euros format where you have um, three sides getting out of some groups. Uh, if you are a side that is difficult to beat, that's a big thing. Um, and you, you, if you look at um, Slovenia's record, you know, really people aren't scoring that much past them. The last two defeats by you know more than two goals was Serbia. Um, last year and again you know, that was sort of quite early in the rain and um i think you know you also look at they also had injury issues during the game as well and also if you go a little bit further back uh, against croatia in uh world cup qualification which again that's no real <laughs> no real shame in uh, losing to the team that would go on to win the bronze medal at the World Cup, particularly when you drew against them uh, earlier in that particular. Sorry, but particularly when you beat them earlier in that particular campaign. You know, they're not an easy game for anyone to get, uh, and should be rightly quite um, optimistic of being able to get into the knockout rounds of the Euros next year. I, um, I'll put my neck line. They will get to the U- knockout rounds of the Euros next year. Um, I fancy they've got a quarter final in them. Ooh. That's um, <laughs> there. There's the prediction that's going to come back and bite me. Um, which leaves with uh, two sides who sides who didn't qualify. Kosovo from Group I, who are in a bit of a mess, really, um, but not really from anyone's fault. I think it's quite a difficult one. Um, obviously, Primoz Gliha came in as manager after Alan Jerez left halfway through the qualification campaign. Jerez had had a very poor start to the qualification campaign. Gliha did pretty well. Um, Two wins, two draws, two losses. I think you can excuse one of those losses, which is uh, the game against Belarus, because everyone knew he was going um, before <laughs> the last game of this qualification campaign. Um, but you know, your two draws there are against both against the Swiss, which are yes, I think um, this isn't uh, the prime form of the Swiss side, but they're still Switzerland. They're still a damn good side, um, and getting points both home and away against them is is very creditable. The problem that Costa have had um, really is sort of twofold. Um, firstly, I think they've really struggled to get in managers. Um, you know, Gleha is no one's first choice, I think, if we're honest. Um, you know, people of, the, of these parts will perhaps remember his spell as Slovenia under-21 manager, and particularly how that ended, and will understand why I say he's no one, he probably wasn't anyone's first choice. Jures probably wasn't either, um, you know, bearing in mind his record or lack of it recently, you know, the, the cost of trouble was the first, site, first one he'd had in three years, it was the first time we've managed in Europe in 17 years, that's not um, necessarily a promising thing and you look at the names that are associated around the role this time coming that's not necessarily encouraging either um, but Gleha I think really backed himself into a corner um, 
in part because of the issues with Israel. Um, so, unless you've been living under a rock, you'll obviously know Israel are having a bit of a set to in the Middle East at the moment, and the October game against Kosovo was cancelled as a result. It was replayed this time around uh, on the 12th. Now, the 12th, as you possibly know, was before the official international break started, so teams weren't necessarily under any um, compulsion to send players, and some didn't. Um, they had injury issues for a start, because uh, there was absolutely no doubt about that. But um, some players have just said, you know, some clubs have just said, you know, we can't make them, or you know, this player cannot be available for this first game. One of whom is Edon Zagrova, who of course is one of the best midfielders that Kosovo have. And rather than just calling up and saying, well, he'll just be available for the second two games, Glead didn't call him up again didn't call up and there was a bit of a set to in the media statements on social media going back and forth and back and forth and Gleha went um, because at the end of the day um, uh, an eminently replaceable former Slovenian youth manager um, is always going to come off uh, in the FA's eyes uh, as less important to play Kate than one of the best midfielders you have going for a uh, nation that has to be quite honest, it's a reasonably small talent pool. Um, that reasonably small pool has a lot of talent in it, but you know, there's not loads of them. They, you, know, you can't afford to be uh, pushing away uh, as a Grover. Um, now, with that in mind, you know, I think it was a decent week for them. They were absolutely snake bit with injuries. There's no doubt about that. Aaron Murich um, had to miss games from illness. Um, Injured just just in the defence, uh, Lea Pakrada, Ishmael Baker, Amir Rahmani. Um, so you know, you're taking out your captain there, um, you, your captain and your best defender. Um, you're taking out your main left-sided defender, and Baker would have probably filled in um, as one of the other defenders. That's not good. <laughs> uh, you go forwards to the midfield. Mila Rashica um, got injured. In the is in training after the Israel game, as uh, so had to miss the following two. Um, Elsa Grover, obviously, we've mentioned. Uh, Vedat Marici got injured again, so had to miss um, the games. And obviously, Albion Rahmani uh, is long term injured. And Shkelkin Vladi, who probably would have played this time around, pulled out of the squad. Um, I think the I've seen rumors that he's maybe not long for the Kosovan talent pool and will be for someone else's talent pool sooner or later. Now, in spite of all that, you know, and those are massive uh, extenuating factors against the performance in these games, they did well. You know, I think one of the real positives is we've seen, um, you know, Lombard Delova has really just progressed nice and easy from Superliga to senior international football. Ilya Krasnici, a player you could easily have had plenty of doubts on his ability to do the same, did it over these three games, did very creditably. Um, Kenjin Shiba, brilliant week, uh, and you know, I think really he's he will be made he will be moving along um sooner or later, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And Mohamed Hisseni um obviously scored the goal against the Swiss. Um but you know again, very creditable performances. So I think we've sort of seen the depth of the talent pool in regards to what we've been able to bring through from the Superliga. We've also seen the very real limitations of it in terms of the amount of injuries that they've had and how really they've not been able to absorb them. You know, with three games uh, in a week, um, it was too much 
for them, I think it's fair to say, uh, particularly with the walking wounded uh, that were coming on through it. Which leaves us with our final side, Bosnia. Now, let's just start off the, the first thing saying is they are in the playoffs. Um, they have drawn Ukraine in the Path B playoff, um, which is not good. Um, they will not win that game. Um, even though they are hosting that game, they will not win that game. Um, they, well, maybe I'm a little bit harsh. There is absolutely no sign that they're good enough to win that game. Uh, and there's sort of a combination of the Kosovo issues in terms of fallings out uh, and just the fact that everything's a mess and on fire. Um, I'm half tempted to think that they'll probably try and play Ukraine in Banja Luka just to get them some sort of home advantage um, which would be interesting to say the least I don't think they actually can do that um, I think they have to play it in Zenica, um or Gibevica, um but it'll be an interesting one to see how the mechanics of that particular game work um, because certainly I think there's plenty of people within the borders within the borders of Bosnia and Herzegovina who may not be the biggest fans of the nation of Ukraine. Um, uh, specific, specifically, one of them runs the uh, Bosnian FA. Um, it's really hard to know what to say uh, about Bosnia, which is why we're going to do a whole episode on it in a bit. Um, because they're in such a absolute dire straits. Um, so we'll talk about just the two results they had. They played uh, Luxembourg first in Luxembourg and lost. Um, now, ordinarily, you'd say losing to Luxembourg is not exactly a very good result. Luxembourg are pretty decent nowadays. So there's no doubt about that. Um, but it's the manner of it, really. Um, you know, I think we thought... The pitiful game, uh, the pitiful 5-0 loss in October uh, against Portugal was bad, where they were 5-0 down at half-time and Portugal just chilled for the rest of the game. Um, we thought that was bad. This was worse um, on almost every single appreciable level. Oh my god. Um, yeah. They weren't very good. I, I think my reaction there may have indicated um, I think not very not very good is putting it about as mildly as they possibly could. Um, they were outshot, they were outthought, they were outfought, they were out everything um, by the principality, um, and you know absolutely four one was the one flattered them. Um, they were really bad. Um, they followed it up with a two one loss against Slovakia, which looks. I mean, it looks much better on paper than losing 4-1 to um, Luxembourg, but it also looks better on paper than it was. Um, they were down to 10 men for uh, last half hour. Um, the one that did go in was an own goal. Um, and again, you know, Slovakia really dominated that game. Um, and had they had their shooting boots on, it would have been you know sort of a similar four-one-ish result. Um, it's not a good performance. There's absolutely no suggestion that Savo Milosevic's position as manager is under any sort of threat whatsoever. Um, in spite of other things, which we'll get into now. Um, one thing that was noticeable of that the squad that went towards 
these these games was the names that were missing. Um, in so much as not called up, or at least who had advised didn't want it to be called up, uh, was Edin Dzeko and Miralem Pjanic. Also, Sead Kolasinac not available. Um, Adrian Leon Barisic of Basel um, was injured um, as well. But I think you know, really it's worth focusing on those first two names, um, Dzeko and Pjanic, because I've seen interviews, I've seen comments, opinion pieces in... Um, they're very likely to be quite closely linked to um, the prevailing way of thought within the Bosnian FA. And the words, their career as Bosnian players is over, <laughs> was basically the theme of it. Um, so I'm not really sure whether we get to March and the playoffs and whether we see Pjanic or uh, Jacko play again. I think I, I think 50-50, maybe even 60-40, they're international careers are done. I think Pjanic is, Pjanic is almost definitely um, they might persist with Jacko. Um, I think just because Jacko is a bit more undroppable um, than Pjanic's, Pjanic's form you know, quite reasonably has dropped off um, as, as he's aged and sort of gone to more uncompetitive leagues. Um, and the may, same may be the case for Sea Kalasnac, although I, I can't say I'd seen any comments to say that uh, Klasnac should be treated the same as those two players. You know, the the let's exile these uh, guys forever um, was very much Pjanic and Jako dominated in terms of the narrative of those pieces um, that were in the Serbian media, um, for what it's worth. So, really, it's quite hard to imagine a more disastrous campaign. Um, okay, uh, they didn't finish bottom because. Liechtenstein were in the group, but seven losses, 20 goals conceded. Uh, I think, you know, really, two of those wins against Liechtenstein, the other one, uh, 3-0 on the opening day against Iceland. The standard of performances and probably the results, uh, in many cases, has only really gotten worse as the qualifying campaign's gone on. Um, and I don't think it's the fault of um, Frukat Space as the initial manager. I don't think it's the fault of um, Mel Codro as um, the manager for a month. And it's probably not even really the fault of Salva Milosevic coming in and picking up the pieces. Um, you know, particularly when you have this sort of last set of games of 2023 where your best players aren't available um, for reasons of choice, I think it's fair to say. It's... Um, yeah, it's a very difficult situation. It's a very difficult situation. We'll we'll get into properly as I say before the end of this year we will have a Bosnia now episode because there's been a few pieces come out um of late uh which are focusing on the situation in Bosnian football. Um you may have seen uh, the Yosimar investigation at the I think it started this week actually came out around um the usage of certain bits of UEFA funding for pitches. Um and the potential for surreptitious practices, shall we say, um, there. Um, but yes, that leaves us for international football for 2023. It's done, thank God. Um, we've got maybe two, three weeks of club football. Then we've got the winter breaks, um, and we don't have to think about football for at least a month and a half, really. Um, if if you're Slovenia, you don't even really think about it until um, until just before the start of March. Um, 
it's been uh, an interesting Euros qualification campaign. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Some sides really have come on. I think actually the majority of sides have really come on. Um, I think Bosnia are the only real story who are coming out of it. And you're thinking, wow, you have just gone. Um, you know, Croatia now have this sort of improved usage of their younger talent pool. Kosovo have shown that their Superliga replacement players are worth it at that level. Um, Serbia have done what they needed to do, but we know what their issue is. It's in the, it's in the dugout. Um, and until that changes, it's really hard to see them being competitive. Um, you know, for Slovenia, it's been a fantastic campaign. For Montenegro, they found um, the couple of players they needed to really make them um, push on. And you know, even for North Macedonia, okay, you know, it's a bit of nothing campaign for them. That's the nature of the group that they got. But you know, they did what they needed to do, and that's about all you can ask. So I'll do what I need to do now, which is plug some things. Um, I recently uh, finished reading the uh, Yugoslav Football History book, Yes, uh, Emancipation for Goalposts by Chris Etchingham. Um, it's Emancipation for Goalposts, Football's Role in the Fall of Yugoslavia. Um, it can be got from all good book places, um, but I got it from Amazon. Um, <laughs> uh, which I don't think that's a good book place, certainly not anymore. Um, but yes, if you are interested in your Yugoslav football history, aside from listening to this, obviously, listen to this first, um, then do give it a go through. Um, I think, you know, I can say my thoughts on it. Um, I think uh, it covers a couple of interesting things. It goes off on a couple of tangents that are, you know, quite interesting. I had quite a lot of supplemental knowledge um, to some of the activities, particularly around the Australian diaspora. Um, but I'd also say if you're book is titled um, if your book has the words football's role in the fall of Yugoslavia a chapter around diaspora stuff in Australia I'm not <laughs> it's very tangentially related um, is, what I, is what I'd say um, and I'm not necessarily sure it delivered on maybe what the author was originally thinking um, but it is still a very very good read, very, very worthwhile reading that um, and you know, we don't get much English language uh, stuff on it in the first place so it's going to sit on my bookcase alongside Richard Mills's Politics of Football in Yugoslavia All right. um, you can also read stuff by well you can't read stuff by me um, you can also read me talking to someone in other stuff um, which is in this month's December issue of World Soccer we've got a great article um, by Alan McQuarrie on the Mostar Derby. I had the great pleasure of spending an hour chatting to him in an Airbnb in Mostar um, on Zoom, uh, I should add. Um, going through all things um, sort of Bosnian football historically, Bosnian football now as well. Um, very, it is a good piece, um, and I'm not just saying it because my name's in it, um, it is actually good. So do, yeah, go get World Soccer, give it a read, uh, and very much enjoy, I'd say, and I'll be doing something about Boston football in a bit, because um, it's in fashion. That's why. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review on your chosen podcast service. Sharing is caring, um, so please do if there's someone you think might like. Hearing 40-odd minutes of um, chat around the international football relations of um, 
sides in the former Yugoslavia, then they can listen to this and they'll get it in spades. Um, that is all for now. As I say, we'll have a couple more episodes, which will be very Bosnia specific, uh, between here and the end of 2023. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen, as always, and I will catch you next time.